Dear friends, I crave your indulgence to read again the passage that was read at the beginning of the conference in John chapter 17. John 17. John 17, I'll read from verse 9 to 18. John's Gospel, chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Christ. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou givest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but a son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world have hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou that shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And dear friends, I've been asked to speak on the approach of Christ to culture, Christ and culture. The word culture is often so easy to define, hard to differentiate, and most definitely difficult to overcome its power and influences except by a work of grace in the heart. So, what is culture? The term refers to the socially accepted and adopted thought and behavioral patterns. It is the external working of the inward thought and philosophies of a people. Culture is the way of life of a group of people. It is their behavior, their beliefs, their values, and that which the group generally accepts and passes on, often without really thinking about or analyzing them. Culture is an act of religious devotion, and it is seen in about just about anything. The word itself, its etymology, culture, 
comes from the Latin word cultus, which means worship. Thus, culture also includes that which the world or society or community adores and worships. So we have what we call uh, the cultural wars, or the war with culture. It's a religious battle. The word itself does not appear in scripture, but is described in many ways. It is described as the customs of the people, Leviticus 18.30, Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 30, in Acts 16 and 21. It is also described as the traditions, Matthew 15.2, Galatians chapter 1 verse 14, Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15. It is also described as the manners or the ways and lifestyle of the pagan nations, Leviticus 20, 2nd Kings 17, 34. And if you remember, in 2nd Kings 17, 34, we have what Spurgeon calls a mongrel religion, a kind of worshiping Baal at the same time, worshiping Jehovah, kind of it, mixing things. Now, paganism and human secularism and materialism and in Africa, superstition, and religions and technology, these are the main movers and shakers of culture. And they determine the beliefs and value systems, the way of life and ethics, acceptable and unacceptable behavior. Simply put, culture is the world of mankind, the values, the cherished goals and ambitions, the way of life of sinful and degenerate men, the acceptable and approved ways of men. So culture is what is generally accepted as normal and appropriate to a group of people. Culture is hard to differentiate. In many ways, it is regarded by many as relative. It is also often described as pluralistic, multiple of different religions and lifestyles. But what is culturally accepted or acceptable in one society may not be acceptable in another. Hence, we have what we call cultural wars and designations that we have the Western culture, African culture, the business culture. We have all kinds of designations. And often there is a, a clash and uh, it leads to strife and conflict. Culture is difficult to overcome. All of us are born into the world. Thus, all men are programmed 
from the onset to accept certain cultural norms and practices and way of life right from birth. And so like fishes in water, the culture is the natural world and habitat of all men. Culture hems us in in its maxims, philosophies, and lifestyle. Culture is depraved. There may be some good and moral, ethical principles in culture that may agree with scripture, but by and large, culture is depraved, degenerate, and exceedingly sinful. The reason is simple. Because of man's fall into sin, the majority of the time, culture does not line up with scripture. Man is a fallen creature, separated from God and all goodness, having a morality or self-righteousness all entirely conceived by his own depraved mind. Culture is dominating. It is the oppressive regime and reign of self, sin, and Satan over all the, the souls of all men. And it leads to all kinds of debauchery and wantonness and wickedness, evil, and eventual self-destruction. Culture is at war with God, Christ, and Christians. The term culture war is historically a religious term. The world's culture is programmed against God and Christianity. And one can safely say it is the religion of the world against Christianity. Anything that seems to contradict and oppose these cultural values and religion and philosophies and norms and practices of the world is deemed dangerous and dangerously opposed by the world. In a sense, Christ and Christians are counter-cultural and these evokes all the hatred of hell. In this address, we shall use the term culture synonymously with a well-known scriptural word, the world. For, in every sense of the word, culture in terms of scripture, it's simply the world of the unregenerate, the ungodly, the Christ-rejecting, God-despising, spirit-dishonoring, scripture-disdaining, grace-abusing people in the world. This leads us to a number of questions. Did our Lord Jesus Christ follow the culture of the world? What was his teaching on the subject? How can Christians live in the culture of the world, and how far can we go?
These are many more questions I'm convinced are answered in the main by the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially John 17, verse 6 to 18. We shall surely refer to other passages of Scripture, but it serves us well to use such a great passage of Scripture as read above. Now, in John 17, we will not make a direct exposition of the passage verse by verse. Instead, we will do a kind of an analysis of this portion of Scripture in relation to the subject of Christ and culture. So, let's begin with a prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. The prayer of the Lord in John 17 is mainly an intercessory prayer. And the very first thing the Lord prays for his disciples is their preservation. He commits them all to his Father's custody. In John 17, 11, we read, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. If the Lord prays and says, keep, keeping suggests danger, and their danger arose from the world, and the world wherein they were, the evil of these he begs that they might be kept from. So there are four main things that we want to look at briefly. One, the implications of Christ's prayer. Two, the possibility. Three, the example of Christ himself. And four, the mission. And we find them all in these passages which we just read. Let's just begin with the implications. We observe in the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ that believers are in the world, but kept by God. I read you verse 11 again. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they might be one as we are. So they are in the world, but kept by the Father. This implies, number one, we cannot run away from being part of the world. There was a time in history when men found it fashionable to create monasteries where they would be far away from the noise and din, the hustle and bustle, from the temptations of the world so they could live alone. But we cannot run away from such. Two, we have to brace ourselves for the evils and especially the hatred of the world. John 17, 14, 
I have given them thy word, and the world have hated them. So we need to brace ourselves. Number three, we have received the word of God as it was sent them by the hand of Christ, that which the greater part of the world rejects and set themselves against those who were the preachers and professors of it. And we find that Jesus mentioned that they will be hated by the world. Their message will be hated. And because they are preachers of that message, they will be hated. The fourth implication of Christ's prayer here suggests to us that the world would hate us because we are not of the world. Those to whom the word of Christ comes in power are not of the world, for it has this effect upon all that receive it in the love of it that it wins them from the wealth of the world and turns them against the wickedness of the world and therefore the world bears them a grudge. In 1 Peter 4, verse 4, we are told that the world will hate us because we no longer run along with them. Fifthly, the implications we see here is that we have need for endurance and perseverance. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil or the evil one. We need perseverance, we need endurance, we need protection. Though we would go into trials and persecutions, yet Jesus did not pray that we might be removed quickly from them. It would be easy for God to remove his people at once to heaven, but it is better for them to remain. Remember the words of Paul in first, uh, Philippians chapter 1, that he had a great desire to be with the Lord, but to be in the flesh is profitable for them, and it is so. So having looked at all these implications, we cannot run away, we must brace ourselves, we should expect all the hatred, we need this endurance and perseverance. Let's consider the possibility. Our Lord taught in, that in this, it is possible to live in this world, this culture, and yet not be conformed to it. Again, read verse 15 and 16. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So, we are in the world, but by grace, with our hearts renewed, we are not to be part of the world. But what does that mean? In the world, but not of the world. What does that mean? Well, 
It is possible to be in the world and not to be conformed to its culture and lifestyle. Why is it possible? Well, number one, we belong to the triune God. So it is possible. And verses 6 to 10 in this prayer of Christ makes that clear. Two, because we are taught by Christ. John 17, 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So we are taught by Christ. So, having been taught by Christ, we can live here in this world without being conformed. There's a third reason why it is possible. It is possible because the Father keeps us. Keep through thine own name. The Lord is keeping us. God keeps us. A few days ago, before I came to England, a friend was trying to convince me of all the charismatic teachings and talking about the fact that Christians need to take over the reins of government and the world and uh, bring in that righteousness, kind of post-millennialist uh, views. And then he mentioned Joseph and Daniel and all of that, and I said, look, wait. When you read the scriptures, you have to interpret them correctly. One of the most beautiful things in the Bible we learn from God is the fact that even when he punishes us or disciplines us, there is always mercy. And so in the captivity of the nation of Israel, God raised prophets like Ezekiel, men like Daniel, Mordecai, Esther, so that they will keep his people and protect them. And so it was. It was not because Daniel, well, went to Babylon, became a prime minister, and therefore we should follow same. God was preserving his people, especially the seed, the Messianic seed. And so even in their captivity, God showed mercy in raising people. And we can always comfort ourselves that even when we go through trials and uh, chastisements from the Lord, there is always mercy. And somehow God relieves us of much pain. So God the Father keeps us. The Lord keeps us. And if the Lord is keeping us, it is possible to live in a wicked world as this, with a depraved culture around us, and still not be conformed to it. It is possible also because Jesus prays for us. Here in this passage, he says, I pray for them. It is his intercessory prayer. The Lord has been praying for us. He prayed for Peter, remember? In uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 32. 
but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. So the Lord has been praying for us. And now in heaven, he's still praying for us. He's seated on the right hand of God, Hebrews 7, 25, making intercession for us. In Romans 8, 34, Jesus Christ makes intercession for us. So we are in this world, but we give praise to God the Father and God the Son for keeping us. We are here in this world faithfully also. It is possible to live and not be conformed because the Spirit also intercedes for us. In Romans 8, 26 and 27. Now this possibility of being in the world and not be conformed to it is further enforced by direct commands from scripture. I'm sure you know Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world. James chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, we should not be friends with the world. 1 John 2, 15 to 17, love not the world. Direct scriptural commands. And if we live in obedience, surely uh, we should not be conformed to the world and its culture. And this possibility is also enforced by historical biblical examples. I just mentioned Daniel, but we can speak of Noah, we can speak of Enoch who walked with God in the world that was wicked and depraved. Remember Noah's time, the world was ripe for judgment, and yet Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We spoke about Joseph, and one interesting thing we learn about Joseph is in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 38. After he had interpreted Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh said, Can we find such a man as this, one in whom the Spirit of the Lord is? Joseph lived in Egypt but he was not corrupted by Egypt. He was not zapped into their culture and their lifestyle. He lived with integrity and the Spirit of God was upon him. We can speak about Daniel and many others. And so, my dear friends, there is a possibility. We are here surrounded by a world that hates Christ. In the last address, how children are being targeted and education is being made crooked, perverted, twisted, so that the next generation to come might be totally without Christ and without God. And as parents, when our children go to school, our hearts are in our mouths. What are they teaching our children? Who are the friends our children go along with? These things matter to us because we see the corruption everywhere. And so it is. There's something about culture which I failed to mention in my intro. You know, sometimes culture is borrowed. 
we can borrow. And in Africa, we can look upon what is happening in the West and begin to copy it and imitate it. And it happens all along. But let's come to our third strand for the sake of time of our looking at Christ. And this time we shall look at his own example. Again, let's look in John 17. Now, verse 14 and 16 and 18, we read, I have given them thy word, and the world have hated them, because they are not of the world. Note, even as I am not of the world, verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. In these verses, Jesus is an example to us. They are not, even as I am not. And therefore we can learn from the example of Christ's life whilst he was on earth. Well, he sets his life before us as something to imitate. That Jesus Christ was not of this world he never had been, had been in it, of it, and at least of all now that he has uh, said, and at the point of living it, he's telling us he's not of the world. How did Christ then conduct himself in a world without being conformed to it? How? Well, again, we look at his life. First, he was focused on doing only his father's will. The battle with the world's culture begins with a state of the mind. A mind minded and determined to do only the father's will shall by God's grace resist any conformity to the world. John 4 verse 34, my meat is to do my Father's will. That should be our focus. Secondly, he never sought the praise and glory of men. That is true. I read recently some articles on new evangelicalism. And it came out quite clear. And one of the reasons why there's such a craze in the world, or of, let me say, churches in the world and ministers to name themselves or give themselves so many titles, and if you come to, if you come to Africa, there are so many of them, Reverend Professor, Dr. Bishop, we have seers, Apostle Generals, we have major prophet, senior prophet, 
and you name them. Underlying all of these is trying to show the world that we are not ordinary men. It is trying to show the world that if there is a professor emeritus somewhere, I am also a professor in my own right. So that Christianity will be liked by the world. Well, Christ never sought some of all of these things. People, because, you know, who saw him, called him the son of God, the son of man, and all, those he deserves. But by and large, he never sought any praise from men. If the church of Jesus Christ would disease from trying to please the world and seeking the approval and acceptance, I'm sure many of the evils we see in the church will be minimized. Christ was never the world's favorite, nor the darling. He had no worldly possessions. He had no place to lay his head. He sought no worldly power. He was no judge or divider of our people's inheritance. He never fell for all of Satan's temptations, those traps that many of us so easily fall into. Satan says, I'll give you the whole world, and we want to have the whole world. Satan says, just worship me, and I'll give you this, and we are willing to do that, not Christ. And so must we, as it quotes in his hymn, where the whole realm of nature mine, this was a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life my soul, my all. Thirdly, he was dead to the world. The prince of, the, of this world had nothing in him. The things of the world were nothing to him. Honor was nothing to Christ. He already has honor. He made himself of no reputation, we are told. Riches were nothing to him, for for our sakes he became poor. Pleasures were not what he looked for. He was the one acquainted with grief. Fourthly, he preached against worldly living. He did so in many instances. He told a rich young ruler, go sell all that you give to the poor, come take up the cross and follow me. He spoke those memorable words, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So by his life and example, we learn we copy, we imitate. 
By his life and example, we also learn from Christ some practical instances. I want to go over them because, again, I'm looking at the time myself. Note the devotional life of Christ, his prayer. We are told in Mass Gospel he will get up early in the morning and pray. He went to the mountain, Luke 6, spent all night in prayer. He came down the morning and chose his disciples. He was praying and the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. The prayer life of Christ, so devoted. Why should Christ pray? Did he need to pray? No. He could ask the Father anything, and it would be done. But he prayed so that among other things, we learn from him. Christ attended worship in the synagogues and the temple. How did he conduct himself? With dignity, according to the scriptures. He never indulged himself and some of the excesses that were there. He drove people out of the temple because they made business or merchandise. In practical instances, we learn about his zeal in preaching and teaching. The last but one speaker was saying this, Pastor Northern, you see, we are so surrounded that the world's culture is killing a lot of Christian zeal. We don't seem to have time. Not the Lord Jesus. Notice interactions with all kinds of people. Christ was always accessible and approachable. The elite Nicodemus could come to him. Simon could invite him to his home. He could eat again with the publicans and sinners. He was a, accused of being a friend of publicans and sinners, yet he never sinned. There was no guile found in his mouth. Meant, therefore, we can live and work. And yet, Never be conformed to it. I tried advice to, to advise some friends, young people who want to come to the West, looking for greener pastures. And I told them, you have to brace yourself. Because when you come, you work. Your boss may be, should I use the word, homosexual? Or whatever it be. And you are going to work in that environment, or you are going to be schooling in that environment. Brace yourself. That is the kind of thing. You could still have a testimony in there. We note his visits to homes also. Mary and Martha, and he will sit Mary down and tell her a lot because Mary wants to learn. So must we. 
his attendance at social events. He went to a funeral. He went to a wedding. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's with the people, yet never conforming to their lifestyle. That's the point I'm trying to make by this. We notice humility and courage. He rebukes sin when he needs to. Sometimes, like he did to Simon, when the woman of the city came and poured oil at his feet, and Simon said, if this man, if he was a prophet, he would have known what manner of person or woman this is. And Jesus told a little parable, rebuking Simon. He who have been forgiven much, last much. So this tells us, my dear friends, that it is possible to live in this world, not be conformed to it, if we just follow the scriptures and uh, imitate the lifestyle of Christ so that we can be a greater witness for Christ, so that the world may see that truly our Lord saves and makes new, a new creation, a new people. Therefore, we come to our fourth strand and we begin to wind up quickly. Verse 18, Jesus said, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So Christians are here sent into the world. He came with a mission and a purpose. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save, to save that which was lost. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. We learn about all of these things. So are we in this world. We are to shine as lights in a dark world and the salt of the earth. Philippians 2:15. Among he said, a crooked and perverse generation among whom ye shine as lights. John Calvin writes: Jesus commands us to promote eternal life in his name to reduce the whole world under his sway and to publish a doctrine which subdues all pride and lays prostrate the whole of the human race. End of quote. A mission to the world, sent into the world. So, how does the Lord Jesus Christ want this mission to be carried out? The answer is in those words, as even so. So, number one, like Christ, we are sent into a wicked world. We have emphasized that. A wicked worldly culture. A, a culture that hates any upset. Anything, as it said in John's, um, Acts, the book of Acts, anything that would turn the world upside down, their world upside down. They hate it. 
It is a world and a culture full of darkness and ignorance and superstition, deception, hatred, murders, rebellion, injustice, perversions, oppressions, defrauding, dishonesty, the list could go on. That's the world. But secondly, like Christ, we have the devil and men as our enemies engaged in an unrelenting warfare. And thirdly, like Christ, we must not expect everybody to receive the gospel message. Many actually will reject the message of Christ. Fourthly, like Christ, we, are, we must expect persecution and betrayals, attacks, slander, trials, humiliation, etc. They call Jesus Beelzebub. They called him names. Fifthly, like Christ, we are sent to do good or to do people good as much as we can. Jesus, we are told, went about doing good. Six, like Christ, we are sent to live his life for others, to be examples of humility. Christ was humble, to be examples of forgiveness. Christ forgave even his enemies to be examples of sacrificial love, to be examples of modesty and calmness and peace. So we are sent into this world. Like Christ, seventhly and finally, we are sent into the world, into the culture of the world for a short brief season. I told some people recently that I don't know how many more years I have to live. I just turned 60 last December and I said, I don't know if the Lord will give me five years, 10 years, 15 years, I just don't know. But if the Lord is pleased to give me three years, may every day, every hour, count for Christ. May it be that the people of the world will look at me or look at us and say they have been with Jesus. These are Christians, the Lord's people. And so, in my conclusion, dear friends, when we are conformed to this world and its culture, its degenerate culture, we betray Christ, number one. We betray him. We make a false profession of our faith. We deem the light of the gospel witness. We join forces with evil to fight against Christ. We are unprofitable and disqualified to name the name of Christ. Martin Luther wrote, If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition of every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking 
I am not confessing Christ. However, boldly I may be professing Christ, I am not. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches on that point. John Calvin said, I will be a coward if my master, right, the Lord, is being dishonored. So we need not fear, friends. We do not fear. We need not be afraid of the culture that we live in. We need not to be afraid of death or of the persecution. Why? Well, John Ryland wrote, Sovereign ruler of the skies, ever gracious, ever wise, all my times are in thy hand, all events at thy command. He that formed me in the womb shall guide me to the tomb. All my times shall be ever ordered by his wise decree. Times of sickness, times of health, times of poverty and wealth, times of trial and of grief, times of triumph and relief, times the tempter's power to prove, times to taste the Savior's love. All must come and last and end. I shall please my heavenly friend. Plagues and deaths around me fly. Till he beats, I cannot die. Not a single shaft can hit till the God of love thinks fit. O thou gracious, wise and just, in thy hands my life I trust. Thee at all times will I bless. Having thee, I all possess. Perhaps in closing, dear friends, and please indulge me again. Perhaps this being the last address, shall we not keep the words of that famous hymn by George Duffield in our minds and hearts? Stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory on to victory, his army shall he lead till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. The trumpet call obey. Forth to the mighty conflict in this glorious day. Ye that are his, now serve him against unnumbered foes. Let courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose. Oh, that the church of Jesus Christ will not fear living in a depraved culture for Christ. And oh, that the church of Christ will stand up and fight the Lord's battles. God help us. Amen.